Are you on like pre-operation medication already? I have this huge bottle of pills that I think is the same stuff they prescribed to Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) So you know it's got to be good. And I'm thinking maybe I can just play through the pain. And they're telling me, you don't want to wait till it hurts. You need to get ahead of the pain. Um, And there may be refills. But I have not started taking them yet. The bad thing is you can't drink while you're taking But the good thing is you don't want to drink while you're taking them, so it works out perfectly. I don't know. The only time I've taken Percocet or whatever, it's just been fun. Not my, not my thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't really like. I don't really like it either. I don't like that 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 level of mellowness. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not a big uh, painkiller guy. Every op I've had, I took them like once, and that was it. So, yeah. So if I do an episode of Bebop on. Um, these drugs, I will, be, I, will, I will be Rush Limbaugh. Is that a problem? Which it, it, it ties in with the new thing. After surgery, I'm going to take a sabbatical and begin working for the Santorum campaign in California. I'm actually actively campaigning for Rick Santorum in California. Jesus told me to. And I encourage you two, you two are registered Democrats, but in the primaries, you can vote for Santorum. I can, but I would have to be on OxyContin to do that. No, I heard that you're allowed to vote for Santorum, even if you aren't on drugs. Really? And they can't, they're not doing drug tests during the primaries. That's for the general election that they'll do drug tests. But during the primaries... You can take anything and vote for anyone. I really want Rick Santorum to win the Republican. (laughs) I do too. Do you know why? This is why. And I learned this today when my, right after my wife was sworn in as an American citizen. I learned that Martin Luther King was a Republican. Did you guys know that? Well, I'm, I'm actually more interested in the fact that you have an anchor wife, Tim. I do. I had the anchor baby. Now I got the anchor wife, so I'm all set. But as as we came out, there they had two they had two uh, tables set up to register voters. They had five thousand people sworn in today, and they had a couple of tables to register voters. The Republicans had cardboard life size cutouts of Ronald Reagan. They had a picture of Martin Luther King saying Martin Luther King was a Republican, and none of it worked. And the Martin Luther King thing particularly pisses me off because it's not true. So this is the first thing you do after uh, being sworn in as a citizen? You register yeah. to vote? You can register to vote and get your passport. You can get all the all the stuff there. And you can also buy for $10 a protective cover for your new U.S. citizen certificate. But, Tim, isn't it more advantageous for Jean to have her British passport and not her U.S. passport? Uh, you, you can have both. Right, exactly. But which one is she actually going to use? Well, when it comes down to it, she has to. If when when push comes to shove, and if 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 Britain start tries to invade America once again, <laughs> she has to fight for America. She has to take up arms. It's in the it's in the oath. She has to renounce the Queen and take up arms. So uh, she will fight for. Us. She's she's on our team now. Okay, so I have two things to say to that. One yep. is, why isn't Gene, of all the shows for Gene to make an appearance on, 
here tonight, breaking in like she usually does, because you know how much she loves to <laughs> She's on. always on the podcast. Yes. And two is, we need Jean to tell us that she is going to, she's ready to fight the Queen of England, if that's what it comes to. I need to hear that from Jean. And by the way, when we mean fight, we mean hand to hand. Yeah, hand to hand. <laughs> it's not mano a mano, it's woman-o um, woman-o. It's like it's... queen wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go get your goddamn wife, Tim. We need her right now to swear. You know what? She can swear to a judge. That doesn't mean anything. She needs to swear on the Media Lover Bebop podcast for it to be real. Do you want me to get her? Yes. Okay. Jean? Yes, Jim. First of all, congratulations on becoming one of us. Thank you so oh. much. Do you already feel stupider? No, no, I feel more patriotic. Patriotic. <laughs> yeah. Jean? Jean? Yes, Kirk, yes. Congratulations. I want you to know that it was not Jim's idea to do this. I wanted, I suggested first that we needed you to be on the show so we can congratulate you. And also because we know how much you love doing this. <laughs> The, the 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 beauty of it came from Johnny, who turned to me and said, "Are you now going to speak like like us and write like us?" No more use. You got to keep those goddamn use out of your words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was there a spelling test, Gene? <laughs> no, thank goodness there wasn't. <laughs> well, Kirk, would you have passed a spelling test? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have. <laughs> but it depends on the words. Yeah, exactly. And it depends on the order of the letters, right? So we're very interested in the fact that, that you now have to take up arms for our country, Gene. Yeah, that was hard. Yeah. That you, was you, really you interesting. I literally had to swear that I would, and I had to renounce being British as well. That was weird. <laughs> well, you have to fight the Queen. Yeah. If, if push comes well, to shove, you have to take arm kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat against the Queen. Yeah. No, it was it, yeah. It was really. No, we would like to. We would like to hear that from your mouth, Jean. We would like you. Is, we would like to hear you renounce I, the Queen of England. Not going to happen. Thanks, Kirk. <laughs> so is everybody back in England disappointed now that you're an American citizen? I've had a few comments. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're just jealous. But thank you, thank you for welcoming me not only to your country but to your podcast as well. <laughs> I feel really American now. We should do the pledge right now. Should we do this, the pledge? Yes, was the icing I, I, think, I think we should. Yes, we all, should. all together now. I pledge allegiance, I pledge allegiance to, to, the the flag flag to the flag of, of the United, United States, States of America and to the country for which, Where's Jean? Where's Jean? Where's Jean? for which it stands, one nation, optional under God, under jaw, indivisible, indivisible, with liberty. Did you say under jobs? And justice. For all. There we go. And justice. Thank Amen. you. Good night. Good night. <laughs> say good night. Say good night, Jean. Good night. No, you're supposed to say, say good night. <laughs> say, say good night, Jean. Good night, Jean. <laughs> It's 9 p.m. on Wednesday, February 22nd, 2012, and that means it's time for the Media Loper Bebop. Tonight, The Simpsons hits 500 episodes, and they've been going downhill for at least the last $4.99. Then, what could be weirder than vinyl making a comeback? How about over-the-air television? And finally, we induct a classic album by the Jesus and Mary Chain into the Media Loper Bebop Great Albums Hall of Fame. 
all that, and Kirk's going into surgery on Media Lover Bebop episode 31, worst episode ever. I'm your host, Duffman Connolly, and with me, of course, are my co-hosts, Bleeding Gums Gaskell. Um, who is all American. And Sideshow Kirk. Just back from New York City. Not really just back, but, you know, it's relative. It's relative to when we last did this. In the world of the podcast, you're just back. Have you ever loved something so much that you wished it would never end? And then it didn't? Because that's the conundrum I feel every single time I watch a new episode of The Simpsons, which aired its 500th episode this past weekend. To me, the irony of The Simpsons lasting nearly a quarter of a century and airing 500 episodes is simple. I never expected it to last even a few episodes. In fact, I was absolutely positive that a cartoon show based on shorts on a little watch sketch show and written by a guy whose only claim to fame was a particularly caustic underground comic would never last. So when that first episode of The Simpsons aired at the tail end of 1989, I taped it. And I taped the next one, and the one after that. In fact, for the entire 1990s, I taped and saved every single episode of The Simpsons. I only stopped when the first DVD came out. So, it's hard to imagine what a huge fucking surprise it was that The Simpsons became an amazing, massive, world-changing hit. In a weird way, like Nirvana a couple years later, it was an object lesson that seemingly underground things remained that way not because they could only appeal, appeal to a small audience, but rather they only had access to a small audience. Because like Nirvana, all The Simpsons needed was the access to a mass audience. And 500 episodes, every single one of which I've seen later, it's still going strong. Well, or at least going. One of the standard tropes surrounding The Simpsons since, oh, I don't know, the fourth or fifth season was that it peaked early and that everything since the turn of the century, or 1998, or 1986, or 1993, has been a travesty, a patch on those amazing first episodes. So this brings up the question, does the world really need 500 episodes of The Simpsons? Hmm. No. I don't think so. Well, the thing is, okay, how many years are we in now? Um, 22, 23. 22, 23. Okay. I, uh, I, obviously, I have seen probably half of the 500, so I've seen maybe 250, maybe. Um, and it is one of my favorite shows. However, I pretty much, I kind of lost interest around the 10-year mark. Um, even though I know they hit, they, they, they hit some out of the park occasionally, there were still some great ones after that. It just wasn't... Um, it wasn't really, I just didn't find it quite worth my while to watch every episode, even though again, I do love it. And I, I, I almost never hate it, although there are some episodes that are pretty bad. It's just the um, it, it's just the sheer number of episodes that I find uh, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a high wall to scale in, in terms of seeing them all. So I'm quite happy with the first 10. I think season four is probably in my, you know, probably the peak, um, like the House of Horror episode in season four is probably by far the best. Um, so do you think, do you think that, that um, by not, by not being a cult show that ended after two seasons or five seasons or even, you know, let's say the, the eight seasons, it, it's, it's somehow diminished the legacy of those early years? I think it has a little bit. And I think if it had gone four or eight years, it would have been the greatest show ever. So why isn't it? I mean, those shows still exist. Those shows are still as good as they ever were. 
No, I know, and it's a bit like you know Willie Mays playing till he's forty-five or something, and not having you know the last eight years not being that great, but up until then he was one of the, he was the greatest baseball player ever. Yeah, it doesn't diminish his what he did. He's still probably the greatest baseball player ever, but um, you can kind of throw out the last couple of seasons. So, but even but even the bad seasons had good moments, exactly, and, sure, and good and good scenes. And this is the more interesting thing is because there are so many episodes, more than any other series I can think of. This show lends itself to chunking and tagging and curation. It, it's like, on one hand, consider how we watched or didn't watch The Simpsons in the past. Think about what you could do, what Fox could do with The Simpsons if they made it available in a way that anyone could go through and mine The Simpsons content. So many cultural references, so many great jokes, so many, you know, just the whole universe that is The Simpsons. You could do, because there are so many episodes, you could do some amazing stuff. It'll be interesting to see if someone actually does. Monorail, monorail, monorail. I hear those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the truck could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us brain dead slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir, I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. Once again. Monorail. But Main Street's still all cracked and broken. Sorry, Mom. The mob has spoken. Monorail. My problem, I suppose, now is what could they possibly do that they haven't done? That's the only thing. But okay, so let me let me let me let me answer that. Let me answer your question with a question. What does it matter? What does it matter as long as it's funny? Uh, No, I agree. But is it in the context? Is it going to be as funny because we've probably seen? You know, we we could probably say, oh well, that's funny, but they kind of did that in episode two hundred and thirty-eight. I think that uh, the more interesting discussion, rather than talking about how The Simpsons evolved or devolved or maybe you know disintegrated, is how they came to be in the beginning and how different things and how different things were when they came to be and how hard it is to understand. 22 or 23 years later, how unlikely it was that something like The Simpsons would ever exist as a continuous entity 23 years later, and how back in the day, Fox was like some startup doing streaming video on the internet. They were breaking through the barrier of three networks. This is all you're going to watch. Fox was like the new thing that could bring you programming like the Simpsons, and then they turned into Fox. So I think the Simpsons have aged better than Fox has. Oh, absolutely. In, in, in summary, <laughs> right? No, no, and you're absolutely right, Kirk. It's 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 weird when you're if you it's it's hard to remember. I mean, it's not hard to remember before the Simpsons, but it's 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 they they change things so much in terms of. Uh, a new level of anarchy and 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 
network comedy that before The Simpsons, especially in the 80s, which was a goddamned wasteland when it comes to situation comedy, just brutally bad. That Excuse me, Cosby Show? Okay, and after the Cosby Show, name another one. <laughs> and even uh, the Cosby okay, Show, yeah, and even the Cosby Show, I mean, Cheers, I take that back. Cheers in the first Cheers half. Cheers was still going, yeah. Cheers in the first half of the 80s and the Cosby Show, but the Cosby Show got pretty saccharine pretty fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So The Simpsons was The Simpsons was the first time our sensibility, whatever that is, got a mass airing and it was just the right timing when there was enough people who kind of had that same sense of humor and and it hadn't really been out there before. Then I think that was part of the secret of it. It was like there was this whole group of people who, oh my god, we, I mean, we knew about it. We knew about Matt Granny, we knew about the shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. It wasn't like The Simpsons was a surprise. It was a fulfillment of a promise that we didn't actually believe could be fulfilled. <clears throat> True. And then the uh, if you look at the what came after The Simpsons as well, you have the live-action equivalent in Married with Children, um, which how how long after the simpsons did that come out it pre- sure. it, it it predated the simpsons i'm pretty sure mary with children it was the mary with children was was one of the very first fox shows i almost guarantee you it was out there for at least 2 years before the simpsons okay but the, those to me though they kind of go hand in hand they kind of mirror each other one you know without one without the other couldn't have existed almost because that level of um kind of obnoxiousness within the family unit and we we never really saw that before every time you know the family was usually kind of a a, a team and they didn't work you know in in an antagonistic way and then you know these two shows kind of broke that mold in a big way and Roseanne actually now that I think about it and yeah Roseanne so you remember when the Simpsons were controversial Yes, and they were de- denounced by politicians as a oh yeah, and people wouldn't let people wouldn't let their kids watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, I I make I make my kids watch it. Why can't we just make a law against flag burning? Because that law would be unconstitutional. But if we change the constitution, then we can make all sorts of crazy laws. Now you're catching on. What the hell is this? It's one of those campy 70s throwbacks that appeals to Generation Xers. We need another Vietnam to thin out their ranks a little. What if people say you're not good enough to be in the Constitution? Then I'll crush all opposition to me, and I'll make Ted Kennedy pay. If he fights back, I'll say that he's gay. Good news, Amendment. They ratified ya. You're in the U.S. Constitution. Oh, yeah. Doors open, boys. Who's your favorite Simpsons character? <laughs> oh, Ralph Wiggum. Ralph Wiggum. Does he qualify? Is he is he in enough episodes to qualify? Any character counts. Who's your favorite, Tim? Mr. Burns. <laughs> Excellent. Sideshow, sideshow, Bob. Yeah, the, the Cape Fear episode is my favorite episode ever. Probably, I'll, I'll go with the monorail, but that's just or the monorail. The monorail episode. Those two, yeah, I could watch those over and over. And anything with Phil Hartman. 
over here of Planet of the Apes. Uh, the movie or the planet? The brand new multi-million dollar musical. And you are starring as the human. It's the part I was born to play, baby. I like any episode with Homer in it, too. <laughs> but you, but so so are you ever going to get caught up with those other half of the Simpsons run? You, you, you never watched him? Well, you know what? N- nowadays, um, what I would do is uh, I would look for a list where people compile and said, okay, these are the hundred greatest episodes because I know there are enough obsessives out there that can do that. They can do the work for me so I don't have to. And <clears throat> therefore I would go back and I would watch, you know, maybe the, the, those hundred that span the entire run rather than go through all 500. I just don't have the time. I don't think. I think in the future we're going to watch The Simpsons in an entirely different way. You're going to have like the top, people are going to do like the top 10 scenes. The yeah, top, that's true. The top 20 Pinchon references. <laughs> I mean, there are so many, uh, there's so many different ways that they could reuse this content in bite sized chunks. I mean, they did the thing, do you remember my favorite scene that could be tied into, they f- could, for example, do baseball references. They did that scene where Homer is painting the curb, and and he's painting one nine seven four as if that's their address. And then he continues painting Oakland Athletics, greatest baseball team of all time. <laughs> and the A's drive by in a limousine, and it's like Sal Bando and Gene Tennis and Vita Blue. Wow. And it's like, and it was really, they really got the play. There are so many just off the wall, weird things like that, that yeah. you could reuse just chunks of content in different ways and have like, this could have a life forever. Yeah. I, the, uh, the, my one, my one problem with the Simpsons is like, you're going along, you'll be in the middle of the season and, and they always have those three or four episodes that just seem so out of character and, and so kind of, um, they 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 just don't they, they they just lacked a certain quality control and it kind of took me out of my enjoyment of the show. I've gotten more zen about that over the years. It's like you know what it's it's a comedy show and it's going to be hit and miss and I'm not so worried about continuity anymore or the fact that no. that they've they've redone the Homer and Marge origin story. You know originally they met in the 70s and Homer was listening to. <laughs> <laughs> the Joker by Steve Miller. Well, and they've yeah. updated that, so now you know I might be listening to Smashing Pumpkins or whatever. It just it doesn't matter anymore. Oh, that yeah, no, that's true. It's just I just find the sometimes the actual um, nice the the actual style kind of goes out of whack as well sometimes. Can I just say, Jim, that when you were saying that stuff, you were just saying you sounded like comic book guy. Up until the end where you said it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> You're supposed to have some more definitive negative summary. So can you try that again? The Simpsons completely suck. They are the worst overrated TV show in the history of TV shows. Ever. Ever. Was that better or worse? I have no idea. I thought that was more, you know. More in character. Ah, thank you. So, yeah, so basically what this falls into, for me, um, <clears throat> The Simpsons becomes, you know, one of my top ten TV shows of all time, 
which I have not seen every episode, and I probably never will. So, I'd say they're on my top five, and and maybe even higher. I have no idea. I don't. I haven't done a list in a while, but all time. I mean, those. I those those first that season seasons two through eight. That that seven season run is as good as anything that for for that long of period that any TV show has ever done. Period. Yeah, but even the first season, I thought had some of the best episodes. Absolutely. So. Yeah. But they didn't quite hit their stride. When they, they found their voice towards the end. You know, they didn't quite have their voice at the beginning, but they did at the end, I think. And uh, but even though they didn't quite find the voice, the writing was so good, it made up for it. Exactly. If so, can I can I just say that if someone came to me and said you can only watch one television series? You have to pick a series, and it's the only series you can ever watch. I just might pick The Simpsons. Well, yeah, yeah. there's 500 of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's probably the show I've spent the most time watching aggregately, except for maybe MASH. Ooh. See, this is why there needs to be some sort of meter of everything you've ever experienced so you can actually create a database of these things. Metadata. We need more metadata. I need to, to be able to dig into my brain and pull out the metadata of, of, of everything I've ever watched, experienced, and listened to. This is mm. why metadata is, is the future of media. The future of The Simpsons depends on how good their metadata is. They've got the raw material, they just need the right metal. The first short story I ever wrote went like this. There are some scouts for an alien invasion, figuring that a backwater planet like Earth was ripe for the picking. But unfortunately, these scouts happened to come down in the suburbs, let's say Fresno, where every single house had a TV antenna, and they mistook the TV antennas for a sophisticated defense system and called off the invasion. As you can imagine, that story was written in the pre-cable days of the 1970s, a time when I went on the roof with my dad and installed a super fancy TV antenna that was directionally controlled by a box that sat on our TV. Do you remember that, Tim? I do. That, that I remember the story as well. <laughs> On a good day, with that TV antenna, we could get channels from Bakersfield. Of course, with the advent of cable, all those antennas on all those roofs went away. They were replaced by, you know, cables going to the house or satellite dishes. Well, now like vinyl, those antennas are coming back. Because the internet has blown up the monopoly that cable enjoyed during the past couple of decades, one of the strategies that consumers are using right now are good old-fashioned over-the-air channels. Of course, there's a twist. Nowadays, those channels are beautiful high def. So my question is, which one of you guys are killing your cable and climbing up on your roof to install an HD antenna? Well, it's most likely going to be me, um, since I've already killed most of my satellites, and I've got all the I've got all the access to the internet stuff. I think the only reason I would ever have Directv now is purely for HBO. And um, if I could figure out a way around that, if I could get, uh, 
I just wish there was one way you could get an a la carte thing where you could just get HBO, nothing else. I'd be I'd be in heaven. That's all I need. I don't need anything else other than the the local channels, and the network channels, and HBO. I'm totally good with that. ESPN. Yeah. Yeah. MLB. Yeah. I can watch it on you know my I can watch the highlights on my iPad. What about you, Kirk? MLB is a no-brainer. That's you know that's. Apple TV, that's any device, that's anywhere. I think that uh, HBO is a must-have, unfortunately. It's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate that there's no a la carte HBO over the Internet. And even and get, so, even HBO Go you won't let you, won't let you do absolutely, airplane mirroring. Absolutely, absolutely. It's all tied into the existing structure of the business. It's like we're going to go put our programming available on the Internet, but – you have to have an agreement with one of our partners. At some point, they're going to realize that they've got that they can make more money selling direct. Yep. And when that happens, that's when things change. I don't know what their agreements are like. They may have exclusivity agreements where they can't. They have to wait for contracts to expire. So it's still a little bit early, but long term, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, what we're seeing with Netflix now doing original programming. At some point, HBO and even newcomers have to emerge as new networks that are on demand over the internet through yeah. whatever connected device, on whatever device you have, an iPad or to your big screen or on your phone or whatever. I mean, that's just, it's as, uh, it's as obvious now as the internet was 10 years ago, but not everyone saw it 10 years ago. Um, right. It's going to happen sooner rather than later. So this thing with the the rabbit ears, though, is is interesting because it's it's sort of a loophole. It really is. Well, it, except it's not really a loophole. It's really the way things have always been. Right. Except that all of our business models surrounding media are supposed to kill out anything that's free. Right. And over-the-air media is the ultimate free media. And now it's HD, <laughs> so right, so you, it's really you still, good. You still pay with your time watching commercials. Well, this is this is the killer app is a DVR for over the air HD. So I have I went and, and bought um, a, a, a computer DVR right that that they'll take cable or and or 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 HD broadcasts and be able to record them on a computer. Because I wanted ITV. Yeah, basically. Um, I can't remember what the what, what the what the actual thing was. The problem was where I live because those goddamn Verdugo foothills are like you know half a quarter mile away. We don't get any HD stations where I live. So oh. that, yeah. Well, I guess you should have thought of that before you bought your house. <laughs> I need to investigate that before I make any investment. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's websites you can go to and type in, t basically type in your coordinates, and you know it makes some assumptions that the it's going to be so high, blah blah blah. And I'll tell you, here's all the things you can get, and here's the and here's how well you can get them. Got it. I need to figure out my GPS coordinates. You have an iPhone. Just ask Siri. <laughs> Say, Siri, what are my GPS coordinates? That's a question she should be able to answer. That's true. She's got all the data she needs. Siri, what are my GPS coordinates? I don't know what you mean by, Siri, what are my GPS coordinates?
Okay, so maybe that's not the strategy, Kirk. <laughs> Do you guys remember Channel 26? Of course. When it first came, when it first came on the air, and it yes. was like a new, and it was like a new thing. This is how we watched Star Trek. Yeah. St- like, well, what, yeah. What, 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 er- what era are you thinking? 1970. 70s. Okay. Do you remember what else was on Channel 26? Uh, wrestling. It, it was a mix of roller derby. <laughs> roller derby, yeah. L.A. T-Birds, wrestling, pre-rock and wrestling. I'm talking mm-hmm. Kinshi Shibuya, the yeah, real yeah. wrestling in the small Gomez. Oakland A's, Oakland A's baseball, because the A, they were the A's affiliate. Which is weird, because the Giants ended up on 26 eventually. Also showed the Giants, yeah. yeah. And Jim and Tammy Faye Baker starting out in the early days, old school Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. That's mm-hmm. a television channel right there. Oh, yeah. Arriving just as 1985 crashed into 1986, the Jesus and Mary Chain's debut, Psycho Candy, was easily one of the most stunning records of the 1980s. The welter of feedback battling the candy-coated melodies suggested a punk rock Beach Boys playing the sounds Brian Wilson really heard in his head. And of course, like The Simpsons, Psycho Candy was something I was looking forward to. I'd gone out and bought Never Understand, and you tripped me up 12 inches. So before it was released, the question really wasn't whether or not it was going to be good, but whether or not the shock value of the Beach Boys pop versus metal machine noise of their initial singles would wear thin over an entire album. That wasn't a problem. Jimmy William Reed unleashed a torrent of beautiful feedbacky songs that come pretty close to being my favorite record that anybody has ever done. My first, my very first recollection of this album was um, whilst being, uh, I think I was still living with you guys. Well, they came out right while we were, while, right during that period of time where we were actually roommates, all three of exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember um, Jim putting it on, turning it up very loudly, <laughs> very loud. And Me? I literally, I thought, I, I thought a DC-10 was about to land on the house it was <laughs> it was a, it was like a, a noise i'd never heard before i get ahead, I'm up on the bike. i get ahead, I'm up on the bike. I'm 
You know, to this day, people have tried to imitate it a bit, but never quite, quite got there. And I think there are bands today that still kind of have the legacy, but just don't kind of have the, don't have the chops or the tunes or whatever. You know, I saw a band like Sleigh Bells on Saturday Night Live the other night, and they, they had that kind of minimalist, distorted, but with a bit of a dance beat and everything, and they just weren't very good. But I, I could definitely see kind of a through line from. Jesus and Mary Chain through to them, and uh, the influence is is pretty amazing. Since it's come, since it came out, not a year, hell, not a month has passed, and somebody hasn't stolen from it. Hmm. It's been that that influential, that 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 combination of all that noise and all that beauty. Yeah, it's our Velvet Underground, basically. Yeah, you know, of our generation. But weren't they just recycling the Velvet Underground? No, not really. I don't think that Lou Reed wrote, I mean, Lou Reed wrote some beautiful songs. Sunday Morning is a beautiful song. Ben uh, uh, Fatale is a beautiful song. But th- most of those beautiful songs were, were, were pretty music. I mean, if you take away all the noise, My Little Underground or, or You Trip Me Up are gorgeous, gorgeous songs, but there's just that welter of noise on top of them. Kirk, you seem it seemed like you might have been a little cynical when you were saying they're they're just stealing from the Velvet Underground. Well, I mean, they were, but they they weren't inventing the future of the rock of of the rock. You know, the rock. Yeah, the rock. The rock. The kids listen to. Right. They weren't inventing the future of the rock without any precedent. Well, no. They obviously had influences, and it's clear who their influences were. That's not a bad thing. I'm just no. saying that everybody it kind of it makes it makes them somewhat less revolutionary. I think more of it comes with the con the revolution the the revolution. Your the perception of them being revolutionary comes from you know the context of what they were coming out of where there weren't a lot of bands doing the, that sort of thing. Yeah, of course, yes, they absolutely had the Velvet Underground as an influence, but they also had the Beach Boys and, and, yeah. and, 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 and Phil Spector as influences, and what made them revolutionary is they were able, they combined, I mean, tons of bands had the Velvet Underground as influences, but no one combined those complete, diverse, that, that, that wide continuum of of influences into a coherent brand new sound. Now, 
No, I'm how not, do you I'm feel they maintained that sound over there? over the next few years. I won't even go into, like, their career. But. No, 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 no. Um, but they, they, Psycho Candy's like the Days of Wine and Roses or Violet Femmes or or any other albums where if you took the band's career without it, if that, if that, if that first album never existed, you'd think, this is a really cool band. Right. But that first album so overshadowed everything else they did that, that it almost diminishes a bunch of really cool to good to great records afterwards. Because I think Darklands I, I, is a great record, and I think Stone in the Throne is a great record. Right, Darklands is great, Rob. The, the what I'm curious as to what, you know, what was their what was what was their thinking as they went along to change, to kind of tone things down so much and not, you know, obviously they couldn't make they couldn't release seven or eight albums of Psycho Candy, but they they really did kind of pull back. I'm just curious as to why. I think the the original thinking was that that there was so much attention paid to the noise that um, William and Jim and William Reed thought, or actually I think it's it's it was William Reed who did most of the songwriting. Thought, look, these are great songs, and no one's noticing how great of songs they are. So we're going to pull back from that. Right. And then none of the other none of the other batches of songs were quite as good of songs as that original batch. Plus, they weren't as sonically interesting. I saw them on on that tour. So we drove up to San Francisco to see them at a club, and that was during the time when they were they were like playing half-hour shows and you know destroying their instruments and 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 doing the the affectation you do when you're 21. Like they didn't give a shit. Um, and because we kind of knew that going into it, it didn't really bother us that they did it. It was just like because there was the possibility of Psycho Candy not being a an anomaly but be, being the first of an entire career of great stuff in other words it's it could have been like their murmur which was the first of you know 15 years of greatness um, thought well definitely want to see them regardless of what they do in concert because this is one of those bands and it was cool but it wasn't revolutionary if that makes sense Pick a best song on Psycho Candy, Tim. Um, I like Never Understand, Just Like Honey, stuff like that. Uh, I like. <laughs> I'm gonna do a Tim here. <laughs> Hard to pick one. Yeah, it really is. I, I totally can see that, but um, there's like a half dozen songs on it that are like my favorite songs ever. 
but my favorite of my favorite songs ever is the next to last one, Something's Wrong, which I think is 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 literally the tallest song ever recorded. It's it's it it it, it the top of the song is the fucking Himalayas and the bottom of the song is the Marianas Trench. It's that wide and deep and tall and it's 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 not just a wall of sound, it's the entire mountain range of sound and it's just and it is gorgeous song. Yeah, it's, I know it's four and a half minutes it's and it's just one of my favorite songs ever by anybody, at least yeah, it's one of my favorite songs ever by anybody. In the history of anything. Yes. So basically the 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 universe is six billion years old, and that song is the pinnacle of creation when it comes to music for Jim. Pretty damn that's close. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's that's a pretty pretty good recommendation, I think. Congratulations to the Jesus and Mary Chain Psycho Candy, which joins Horses, Zen Arcade, Boys and Girls in America, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, Arthur, and Murmur, in the Media Loper Bebop Great Albums Hall of Fame. Are you going to be shipping out the trophy, the plaque thing that we send? Yes. And when do you need our $20? Um, you guys can send me $20 anytime. Just one more thing. One more thing. Tim. Tim? Tim? Tim. Tim. I believe that the Gaskell family has been attacked by enemies of the America. So I'm here. I had I had it on I had it on mute accidentally. <laughs> did you did you do your whole one more thing before you realized you're yeah. on mute? Yeah. So, so that's, that's my one more thing. That's my that's my one more thing. So thank well, you. One more thing, Kirk. <laughs> so what? So my one more thing is I just want to ask you guys how's your uh, how's your F1 your Formula One knowledge these days? Which Formula Who's, One? Formula One. There's only one Formula One. F1 Live and Love Missile, that formula? Formula One Auto Racing. Oh, well, you know there's that guy who's really fast. Yeah. Anyway, if you have Netflix streaming, you have to watch a documentary called Senna, about Ayrton Senna, the Brazilian Formula One driver, three-time world champ. He was, the, um, he was considered probably the, one of the best drivers ever. But he was killed right at the right at the peak of his game, and he died at age 34. But this documentary is absolutely riveting. If you don't, even if you don't like racing, Formula One, whatever, it's still it's it's essential viewing. It's it's fascinating. It's a whole other world. Uh, 
basically Formula One is the biggest sport in the world. I think it's bigger than soccer even. It is watched by, like, you know, when they have the championships, something like 300 million people. It's it's just huge, and you don't even you don't realize how the impact somebody like this had in his native country of Brazil. He was a folk hero and a legend, and when he died, the country went into mourning for like three days. Uh, it, it's an amazing story, and it's it's got drama. It's got uh, it's it's just it's got the the tension that you get with sporting story, great sporting stories. It's kind of also the the build that you 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 know the end result you know what's going to happen but just the build up to it and everything and um, his the competition that he was in the way the drivers you know the one thing I never understood about racing is how the drivers get picked for a team and they drive as a team even though it's an individual sport is it one of those deals like The Voice where they drive around and there's people you know facing their their back to them and they just listen to the car engine and they go I want you on my team. Well, something like that. Okay. They actually, I think they actually look at their uh, their race times. And, ah, uh, okay. So, but it's oftentimes it's like whoever has the most money does the best, you know. So, the, it was the McLaren team, then Ferrari, and so it know, really the, is like American politics. It's kind of a bit like that, but it, it's it's very interesting. There are a lot of politics going on, and uh, it, anyway, watch this documentary. It is absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Senna. One more thing, Kirk. I'm going after you, Jim. Going after oh, me? But I have to ask Tim first. Yeah. So if soccer went up against Formula One, who would win? Um, Battle Royale, cage match, soccer versus Formula One, who wins? Soccer, probably. One more thing. Words with friends. Hey, everybody, let's play. One more thing. Kirk. No, seriously, that's it, Jim. That's my one more thing. Let's play word. Let's play words with friends. Well, how come you've never challenged me to words with friends? Because you're not on Facebook. <laughs> I uh. have an iPad. I have an iPad, just like you, Jim. Hey, Tim. Yeah, I play. My one more thing. My one more thing. Hey, Tim. Yes. Hey, Tim. You know that? Yes. Um, have you heard Jim when he sees someone playing a game on an iPad? He calls it. <laughs> You're going to love this. He calls yeah. it Angry Birds. <laughs> because to Jim, any game that is not an intellectual word game is Angry Birds. <laughs> well, that's not entirely true. Jim, I have to recommend that you read Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal, which is about how gaming is making us better as the human race is being improved by games, and games will save the planet. And that's why my one more thing is League of Evil 2, just out on iOS this week. Ooh. And I highly recommend League of, League of Evil 1. This is a classic platformer, League of Evil 1, or League of Evil as it was known when it was released, because no one knew what there was going to be a 2, was in the 8-bit mode, very retro 8-bit platform game where you have to seek out and kill scientists because they're evil. They're trying to bring down the planet. League of Evil 2 updates it with hand-drawn characters, and the gameplay on the iPad is very good. And it's on sale now for 99 cents, so get it. Is this if, you happen, if you happen to be laid out for a week with painkillers <laughs> after ACL reconstruction, this is the game you want to be playing, League of Evil 2. I'm looking for it right now. Just League of Evil number two? Just search League of Evil and you'll find both. I highly recommend both of them. 
Yeah. Same game, different takes on it. You have to read reality as broken. You would be surprised at the number of high-paid corporate executives who take 20 minutes during their day to play casual games. Well, and and that, that positive impact it has on their performance as a result. I have no qualms with other people playing games in any way, shape, or form. I just don't do it myself. That's all. Well, here's here's the question. Here's the question. Beyond, beyond words with friends, which I'm absolutely obsessed with right now. Jim, why there was a time in your life where you would spend your hard-earned money or your hard-earned allowance on games. Now it's free virtually, but you won't play any games. Why is that? I have two I can I step in and say two yeah. things on Jim's behalf. Whiskey and gambling. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Oh well, no, and that's why well, I do like gambling, and and so I guess that technically counts. And you counts. like whiskey? I I love whiskey. Those are those are two amazingly awesome things. Um, so I just the 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 amount of time it takes to immerse myself in 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 a game just isn't. I rather be reading or watching TV or listening to music or some combination or writing or some combination of all those things. That's all. It's it's not. It's just me, so I, I I totally get that. Right now, I do a lot of my words with friends playing while I'm exercising on the elliptical in the garage in the morning. Yeah, I just I just find the um, it's good to have. I always have you know a, a handful of games on my iOS devices for those downtimes when it's too loud to read, but you're stuck waiting for something or. Or whatever. I, I do my my words with friends. I tend to do like last thing at night before I go to bed. Um, and um, but it's I, I I do like having the other games at hand just for those those awkward times. I don't obsess over games or play them that much, but I do love having a few nearby. It's great. And that does it for episode thirty one of Media Loper Bebop, worst episode ever. I'd like to thank my co-host Tim Gaskell. League of Eagle Evil Three. Oh, League of Eagles. That's like Angry Birds, right? League of Evil. League of Eagles. Legal <laughs> Eagles. Legal Eagles Two, and League of Evil. League of Eagle. <laughs> I have a hang on. I have a question. League of Evil One. I didn't find, but I found League of Evil Two. That's what well, it's not called. It's not called One. It's like World War One. They didn't know at the time that it was. Called. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's but I'm it's just saying it's the, not. It was right. called the Great League of Evil then. <laughs> and I'd like to thank Kirk Biglioni. Hey, Kirk. Oh, here it is. Um, yeah. Will you be doing? Do we be able to do a podcast next week from your deathbed? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to take my painkillers now. Talk to me in a week. <laughs> oh yeah, you don't. You can't eat now, right? For the next 24 hours. Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow night I can't eat. Okay, so everybody send your prayers and uh, and gift and food baskets. <laughs> but as soon as it's clear that I made it through, start praying for Rick Santorum and his triumphant um, victory over finishing Romney's evil. Yes, it's going to be fun. We know that you have many choices in podcasts, and we're always excited when you choose the Media Loper Bebop. So thank you ever so much for listening, and we'll catch you, hopefully, next week. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel.